0: Uh, let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer and ask God's blessing on our time. Father, you are so good to us and you're so generous in that you have revealed yourself to us. We have your word where we can learn about you and, and we can come before you with uh, some knowledge about you and, and about our relationship with you. And Lord, I ask that you would open up our Our minds help us to have understanding. By your Spirit, may we see the things that we need to see this morning and and be able to go forth with uh, a greater understanding of you and and of who you are and of what you have done for us. And so, Lord, I just ask for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're going to be... Getting into uh, the age of the earth. How old is the earth? What does the Bible tell us about that? And we'll be looking at, of course, the difference of opinion. We'll be contrasting it with the difference of opinion that's that's in our world today. And uh, so that's the topic of our discussion. We have a, a short review this morning. <clears throat> then we'll be getting into what God's Word says and then applying it. Um. Romans 5.12 says that uh, that uh, death and disease uh, came into the world through one man. That's by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death came because of the sin of man. And so one of the things that, that we look at with what the Bible has to say is where does death come from? Death is, is a clue as to the age of the earth and so on. That's one of those things that we look at. Uh, Another thing we've looked at in the past is um, this quote that says, um, all researchers agree on certain basic facts. We know, for example, that humans evolved from ancestors we share with other living primates, such as chimpanzees and apes. And uh, this position... Uh, is presented to delegitimize disagreement. Whenever a uh, a statement like this there says all researchers, that means that that they're um, they're already putting up a roadblock to anyone disagreeing with what they have to say, because of course if you disagree, then you're going against everyone, um, and so it's it's a way of doing that. It's it's when a theory evolves into a proven fact by consensus you know it's it's as if you put everybody in a room and they vote on what's true and what's not true and um, had that if that was the case that that if that was a valid way of of finding truth then we would still believe that the uh, that the sun is what revolves around the earth because that's what most people believed back in, in that day and so uh, consensus becomes the primary driver of truth, at least it has in our world today. And um, I think that, that it's valid for us to ask some serious questions about that. Now, going into the track record, what is the track record of, um, of, of the people who take the evolutionary point of view there's been some things that have been discovered that they have used to try to bolster their position uh, and so the track record though as we have looked at is is um, is quite a bit checkered there was the java man that was discovered turned out to be two different creatures that they had put together uh, the piltdown man ended up being a hoax then the Nebraska man ended up being a pig. Because you see what's happening is they're finding one or two bones, and they're building a whole creature out of it. And uh, uh, there was the Ramapithecus, which turned out to be an, an ape. And then the dating of these things were all incorrect as well because they're um, dating on what they hope it to be not rather than what it really is. There were the Neanderthals who um, were found in, a, uh, in what was called the Neander Valley. And uh, they originally were con- uh, constructed to look ape-like, but that was because they misconstructed the bones. Um, and then what they also later found was that these were actually people, uh, and they had cer- the qualities of people. They used jewelry. They had musical instruments. They did cave paintings. They were capable of speech, and they even buried their dead. Um, so, um, the, the again, it's, it's, it's something that was constructed um, to look a certain way, and then it turned out um, they were just a building on hopes. The burial sites that they have... Um, that this one uh, I'm having trouble reading everything here Uh, Martin Lubinow he wrote that it says most anthropologists recognize burial as being very human and a very religious thing it's an act of of religion but the strongest evidence Neanderthals were fully human and of our species is that at four sites Neanderthals and modern humans were buried together Um, so there's they were human. They were just, you know, people that that had their own unique physical structures, maybe in their face or whatever, kind of like your neighbor, you know, that looks a little weird. Um. Then there's Lucy, in um, the astral. <laughs> yeah, I practiced this yesterday. Australopithecines. Um, she was discovered in 1974, and. Uh, there was about 40% of, of the full um, um, skeletal structure or the fossil of it that was found, claimed to be three and a half million years ago, uh, that it existed and that it walked upright. But it actually, you can see on the left there what what they actually found. There were no feet attached, no feet In the skeletal structure, so they just um, arbitrarily added feet that look like ours (coughs) and drew her to look like that. Um, But in fact, there's no similarity in appearance to humans. The the long arms that were there are identical to chimpanzees, and in relationship, you know, as far as percentage to the total height of the of the body. Uh, the jaws are similar to chimpanzees. The upper leg bone is similar to chimpanzees. The legs are very ape-like. The brain size overlaps chimpanzees, and the hands were similar to pig- pygmy chimpanzee. And the feet were actually long and curved, rather than uh, human-like ours. And so, um, the the reality is uh, again trying to to find the missing link, trying to find <clears throat> that, that creature uh, that can support the theory of evolution and um, ends up to not be real, or to be r- really uh, a missing link, but is actually an extinct species of an ape. Um, the extreme rarity of transitional forms in the fossil record persists in the Trade secrets of paleontology the evolutionary tree that adorns our textbooks have data only as at the tips and the nodes of their branches the rest is inference, however reasonable but not evidence of fossils and the the, the problem with um, the theory of evolution is there's the tree that's been it, it, many of you may have seen it it's it is basically a, a way of trying to describe how from single, a single creature, all the rest of, of life on the world, in animal life, um, comes to exist. All comes from, from that single creature, and so it branches out into all these things. Except there's no linkage, there's only um, guesses. Uh, there's only the extrapolation of imagination uh, to get a linkage between what is way out here on the tips of the branches and what is actually at the root of the tree. And that's all they have. In uh, the idea of textbooks and objectivity, uh, James Perloff wrote in his book, A Tornado in a Junkyard, that most textbooks avoid showing comprehensive tables of the discovered human fossils. To do so would uh, expose the contradiction. Uh, that, that there is no connection uh, between human beings and with the rest of the animal world. In Evolution and Objectivity, Philip Johnson, in his uh, book Darwin, Darwinism on Trial, wrote this, the fossils provide much more discouragement than support for Darwinian uh, For Darwinism, I'm sorry, I'm not reading well here. When they are examined objectively, but objective examination has rarely been the object of Darwinist paleontology, and that's too bad because science really is supposed to be objective. Science is supposed to work hard to find the truth, but when the truth that you want to find is is a The thing that you use to support your funding, to support your acceptance, Um, truth always gets shaded. Truth is what gets sacrificed um, many times. The The Darwinist approach has consistently been to find some supporting fossil evidence, claim it as proof for evolution, and then ignore the difficulties. And so that's where... Um, much of the scientific community is left. And there, is, there are a lot in the, a lot of people in the scientific community, by the way, who, who realize this, who understand it, and um, who have a lot of trouble with it. But they don't have something else to go to, so they stay with this until they have a better, a better choice, a better option for um, origins of life. A better option other than what the Bible says. Um, they want something that's that's not biblical. Henry Morris, um, in his book, uh, many infallible proofs. Writes this: Two widespread and very harmful misconceptions about the relation of science and the Bible are prevalent. One, very common among skeptics and unbelievers, is that the Bible is an antiquated religious book filled with scientific fallacies and mistakes, reflecting the naive cosmology of the Near East. The other misconception is, a widely, held, is widely held by professing Christian people, namely that the Bible is a book of true religion dealing solely with spiritual subjects and that where it seems to touch on matters of objective science and history, it must be interpreted spiritually or allegorically rather than literally. The watchword of this school of thought is the Bible is not a book of science, but of religion. And uh, Henry Morris wrote this in 1974. Seeing, you know, looking at at the world of academia, and really also at the church, and and how the the church was dealing with the arguments that academia was throwing at it, and how the church was compromising its um, its beliefs, especially about the Bible, and so the church beginning to or was already um, very far along and going in the direction of of uh, say, well, the the Bible is just for spiritual um, uh, things it 's not really for science and for for finding um, hard truth in our physical world and uh, Henry Morris is pushing back on that Henry Morris uh, was himself a scientist, and um, he started or at least was one of the people that started the Institute of Creation Research down in San Diego and uh, actually was very good. Um, God used him to awaken the church to things and uh, to help the church come back to literal interpretation of what the Bible has to say, particularly in the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis um, that are so critical. All right. Um, Millions of years, why we shouldn't accept millions of years. Uh, We have a a couple of videos this morning we're going to watch. Uh, They're real short, uh, but they're going to be talking about particular things that have to do with the age of the earth. So it just in review of what he said, had to say. uh, The reasons to question millions of years and why we really shouldn't accept it is in Genesis 1, 5 and 11. We have uh, really clear, clearly what, what God is saying. Genesis 1, you have the world made in a week. Um, in 5 and 11, you have the uh, chrono-genealogies, which we're going to be looking at a little bit later, um, which give uh, the dates, really, uh, or at least the time periods of when people are born and so on. So, so we get a sense of how long it's been. Um, in Exodus 20, we have the Ten Commandments being given, and the, the commandment that has to do with the Sabbath day. Clearly states that in six days God made the world. And so, uh, God is God, and that's God speaking to Moses. Uh, God is speaking to himself. We have Noah's flood that that, um, really is uh, a primary responsible, has primary responsibility for the geological um, things that we see today um, all over the world. Uh, Jesus' view in Mark chapter 10, uh, the, the question on divorce. Remember, he talked about that. Um, that that's, that's a uh, Jesus himself saying that in the beginning, referring to man and woman being created, that they were created in the beginning. Uh, the fifth thing was the biblical origin of death. Uh, the sixth thing is that science can't prove um, millions of years, and that radiometric dating is not foolproof. Whoops. All right, but what about radiometric dating? Let's look. We're gonna look at another video. Um, it's not a type of courtship for nerds. That's sort of how my mind works. You know, when I see the radiometric dating, it, words kind of play play games with my mind. So anyway, uh, it's not that. So let's look at, at the, the next video that has to do specifically with these dating methods. So the assumptions of radiometric dating uh, have to do with the starting conditions of the parent-daughter the, of ratio, that the, all the daughter atoms come from the parent atoms, and the rate of decay has always been constant. Those are big assumptions that, that are made in order to come up with millions of years and uh that that's why it's it shouldn't be uh viewed as being a, as an ironclad argument uh for the age of of the earth an example some of the there there have been uh, tests done one of them is of uh, the lava dome in at mount st helens crater it was uh, observed to form and cool in 1984. Some of you remember when Mount St. Helens blew up. It was analyzed in 1996. It, it contained so much argon-40, argon the daughter atoms, that it had a calculated age of 350,000 years. Now, some of you, as I said, can remember that happening. You're not 350,000 years old, right? Um, another one... Was um, in New Zealand on the sides of Mount Ngauruhoe. I, I practiced this one yesterday several times too. Uh, known to be less than fifty years old, yet it yielded radiometric ages of up to three and a half million years. Um, so we see that that it's it's not reliable. Um, on the top of Grand Canyon's. Uh, the same basalt flow was tested using three different dating methods the ages calculated were 916 million years 1.143 billion years and 2.6 billion years that's a pretty big spread Uh, again why should we then um, sacrifice what we read in scripture for something as as unreliable as this It, it makes no sense uh, that, that, we should, that we should feel compelled to give in to what they say. <coughs> so then, <coughs> moving to other things, he, he brought up historical evidence, and, there, and the writings of, of historians through, throughout the centuries do give us <coughs> clues about the age of the earth. Excuse me. So what about this, and what evidence does the Bible give us for the age of the earth? There was a man named Usher, um, Archbishop James Usher, who um, figured that the earth was created October 3rd, 4004 B.C. Now that's pretty specific, but he had a lot of time to do calculations, and so he worked things back. This is his real picture. Um, And he was a very highly respected man in his time. Um, He was highly educated. um, And he was a historian who devoted his life to defending the Christian faith. He meticulously researched the secular accounts of history and found that the Bible correlated with them. Usher dedicated several years of his life compiling history of the world from creation to A.D. 70. There are some... um, Bibles you can get, at least I used to carry years ago the old Schofield Reference Bible, and at the top of the pages it would give ushers dates for ev- for the events that were happening on that page. Uh, his His work was very highly regarded and respected. He was a well-respected scholar, theologian ordained as a priest in the Anglican Church at age 20. He earned his doctorate at 26. He was a meticulous researcher and one of history's most famous historians. He, one of his greatest works was The Annals of the World, and he is buried in Westminster Abbey. And so that's uh, James Usher who did the research, and that's, his calculations did go back uh, to creation being at what we would call 4004 B.C., We'll be looking at that a little bit more in a, in a bit. Um, this was the, on the uh, slide when you first came in. What is the purpose of a birth certificate or a death certificate? What about genealogy? And, uh, and are all genealogies the same? Well, a birth certificate gives proof of age, right? Um, gives your name what you're given to, you know, what your nationality is, uh, who your parents are. Tell us where you came from. And so that's what a birth certificate does, a death certificate course, signifies when you died and usually the manner of your death. Um, And then genealogy is a working back of of, uh, where a person actually comes from, and you can do, of course, tracing of your family history um, uh, in some cases a long ways back, depending on your family and how many records there are. But even that can be done today for people who are living today. The genealogies that we have in the Bible are really just the same thing. Um, A recording of of a person's birth, how old it the fathers, and as we look at the chronogenealogies, genealogies which is where a lot of the information comes from. And, uh, and so I'd like us to look at, how much time do we have? Not much. But we'll look at real quickly in Genesis chapter 5, and we can get a sense um, again at uh, how this worked. Genesis 5 verse 1, he says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day that they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Now, as you will remember from the, the chapter before, Seth is not the first son, but Seth is going to be the one that... The rest of this genealogy is going to be going through. So Seth uh, was born when Adam was 130 years old. Then the days of Adam, after he became father of Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 105 years and became the father of Anosh. Then Seth lived 807 years after he became the father of Enosh, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and became the father of Canaan. When Enosh lived 815 years after he became the father of Canaan, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. And then it goes on. In that manner of these descendants of Adam and then Seth. (coughs) So we have here a time frame, time references, uh, years. And it goes all that way um, down to Noah. And then in uh, chapter 11, uh, in verse 10, it starts again. With Noah and his descendants. And it goes down through Shem. Because the line that, that of genealogy that, that the Bible is going to trace. And we'll, we'll see this also in Luke. Uh, but it, it, the, this line of genealogy is going to be tracing to the Messiah. To the one who will come to rescue the world. And so the father's age is given at the son's birth. These genealogies can be called chronogenealogies, genealogies since they give the time frame for the each relationship. And that is in contrast with the genealogies given in First Chronicles and also in Luke, where the, the time frames aren't given. It's just the names. The names of the fathers, the sons, and, then, and so on. And so... Uh, there we just have a list of names. Whereas with the chronogenealogies genealogies um, we have the, um, the, the t- how old the father was when the son was born. And so, therefore, we can contract back with time. Do I sound thirsty? One of the things... Um, that comes out in reading about this though is that it can pop up because we can we can look at this and say okay we can trace times but then there are skeptics who will say but that can't be real because look how old these ages are in fact if you look at the first four Adam, Seth, Anoshin, Canaan um, all are over live over 900 years and so skeptics point to these ages as obvious flaws in the Bible and there is something we should ask ourselves is there any reason uh, from the text to assume that these men did not live to the ages recorded and you know you look at it it, because it's just stating it as a matter of fact Um, this is it, it's not trying to defend it, it's not trying to uh, say anything about it being unusual just stating it as if it was 60 years and you have 900 years how could that be and really um, as I was thinking about this the only this is commonly how people uh, reject uh, information that's given to them well I've never seen it so it can't be true it's kind of how they see it so if I say that I've never met anyone over 900 years old, so therefore no one could have lived over 900 years. That's how a person would have to reject what it says because it's just saying it as point of fact. And as we get past the flood and we see, again, the ages in the chronogenealogies, what we're going to be looking at, we see a a dramatic tapering off or or coming down of of the length of life. It gets much shorter. Some have said that the long ages of the pre-flood patriarchs resulted from lunar months being incorrectly counted as years. Uh, this is one explanation some people have given. However, not everyone in that chrono-genealogy lived 900 years. Some of them were much shorter lives. And so, if that were true, then these two characters, Mahalalel and Enoch, would have been five years old when they became Christ- when they became fathers, rather. So, how were these long life spans possible? The best explanations seem to be the original perfect condition of God's creation. If mankind was created perfectly without any genetic mistakes or diseases, then there is no reason that they could not have lived much longer than we do today. Geneticists call the accumulation of genetic mutations and diseases the genetic load. Because our genes are subject to 6,000 years of decay, since the fall and God's curse on the universe, we live much shorter lifespans. There are also various environmental factors that could have an, an impact on that. Um, after the flood, we see the lifespans drop off, drop off to 600 for Shem, then to 400 and then less to 200 and down to around 100 by the time of Joseph. <coughs> this is just a diagram of that, of that particular thing. We're up to the time of the flood, it seemed to be, for the most part, uh, pretty high up there, with a couple of exceptions that we already talked about. But then, um, you have Shem, and then it just drops way down. And, and it's very reasonable to, assume, to believe that after the flood, the environment was much different in the world. And what those differences are, we really just speculate right now, but that is um, a very um, reasonable uh, conclusion to come to. <clears throat> How were these long lifespans possible? Human beings would have lived forever if it weren't for the fall. See, death came because of sin, and so um, it, it's reasonable to think that that God God made the human body to to last a long time, and even with the curse of death at the beginning, at those be- that those beginning um, years, they could have lived a very long time. Ultimately, we believe God's word that God has the wisdom and power to create men f- who lived for nearly a thousand years after the fall. That uh, they it is possible because of the way they are created. <coughs> This is a, a diagram of, of actually how it looks when you stack up their, their lifespans with each other in, and how they relate to each other. And it's a very remarkable uh, thing to think about because, in the way we live, our interaction with our ancestry goes back at the most two generations maybe three, maybe we'll have a great-grandparent for a short time. Um, I I had a great-grandmother. I think she died when I was two, so I really don't remember her. Um, And so sometimes we'll have that great-grandparent. For the most part, it's just a grandparent that that we have a relationship with. But you can see the overlap of lifespans, and what a remarkable thing that must have been at that time, and so we have a a chronology. You can see that from this chart um, how old each one was. And in fact, we gave out a handout last week that had this information on it, of of being able to chart out how old each father was when they had a, had a child, and then adding those. Those up, and we see the flood occurring um, according to those, those ages at the year 1656. It's if you start the week of creation in year one. <coughs> Some say the de- genealogies contain gaps, however, the possibility of gaps is irrelevant to the year of Adam's creation, even if many generations existed between two consecutive patriarchs on this chart. The time between their births is fixed by Genesis, no matter how many generations might be missing. For example, Enosh was born 105 years after Seth's birth. The writer or compiler of this information had a careful, systematic, and mathematical way of linking the chronology into one continuous family record in contrast to other genealogies in the Bible. And so, so that it, we, the, the way it's written there in Genesis um, is so definite and so clear that, that the, really the reasonable thing to do is to accept it for what it says and that there are no gaps because you have the father, the son, and then that son becomes a father and he has a son. And his age is given in each case. So imagine Noah speaking with Lamech. Now, Lamech is Noah's father, in case you didn't remember. And he would say, Dad, can you tell me again about the times you talked to Adam about the Garden of Eden? That's mind-boggling, isn't it? That you could ask your father a question like that. Uh, I know he, some of us think our fathers are really old, but um, but this is how it it actually looks. You have Lamech already alive when Adam dies, uh, probably in his early 20s or so. I haven't calculated it out, but still alive at at Adam's passing. Uh, Or Abraham saying to Shem, who is his ancestor, tell me, how did you and your brothers, Ham and Japheth, and your father Noah, build the ark? What an amazing historical resource that would be. Um, So we see here Abraham being born well before Shem died, and, and they lived in the same region. So there's no reason to think they didn't have that conversation because the flood would be a great curiosity and the, and the ark and, and all of that. Um, getting back to James Usher, is he the only one that, that ever did this dating? Um, no, actually, there's been, been uh, many others. Here's just a list of names. <coughs> and these are listed in order of The longest period of time that they came back came up with uh, for uh, the uh, the beginning of uh, going back to the beginning. So you have the oldest or the longest period being at fifty five hundred years, and then going down. and And um, some of these men I've heard of; most of them I have not, but. You get down, you see Usher there. You see another one there at 4,000 years. Um, these are before Christ, by the way. 4,000 years before Christ. And then going down to as low as 38, 36. So around a 1,700-year um, difference, but not very much. This is We're talking still relatively... Small difference, and're we're, we're also talking about a very young Earth still. We also have the Hebrew calendar. I, I think to me this is really interesting, but since the Middle Ages, the Ano Mundi designation from the Latin, which means the beginning of the world, is what they've used in the Hebrew calendar. In the Hebrew calendar, uh, the current year right now is um, Anno Mundi. Five seven seven six. So, with the Hebrew calendar, the 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 Orthodox Jews will will do believe that the that creation was five thousand seven hundred seventy six years ago. Uh, that's their their belief, and uh, we're about halfway through that year. Now. Here's, here's then the contrast. According to the biblical chronologies, approximately 6,000 years is how old the earth is. According to evolutionary theory, we're talking billions of years just for the earth, and 13 billion years for the whole universe. Uh, it's going to be hard to reconcile. All right, as we've talked about many times, it is important to understand that the lenses through which we view the world impacts what we think about it. When we consider the age of the earth, um, everyone looks at the same evidence and interprets it based on different starting assumptions. And that's, that's our human reality, isn't it? Uh, it's, we're going to have starting assumptions. We have to have starting assumptions. And we're all going to come to different opinions. Um, one, just a simple exercise to see how people can, can come to different assumptions. Take it to a, a whole different um, observable event. Uh, you can have five different sports writers watch an NFL game and see a particular play, play and then be asked the next day about that particular play and get five different opinions as to why that happened. Why? Because they have their own assumptions that's built into their mind as they're looking at that play and they're analyzing what went on. That's how we are as human beings. And that's why we need outside resource material to confront our assumptions and either throw our assumptions out or validate the assumptions that we have. There is no way we're going to get outside resource material from science it can't happen because no one was there to see it but if we can look at what god has said and if we have confidence in what god has said i think we can come to good understanding and that's that affects how we look at the world We want to be careful not to get too caught up, though, in the scientific arguments and fail to point to the truths of God's Word and the Gospel. Because the point of this whole thing is not to be more scientific than everybody else. The point of this is to, first of all, affirm our faith in what God has said, and second of all, to help others come to faith in Jesus Christ because the whole point of all of this is Jesus Christ which is the point that John makes in his in the beginning of his gospel when he says in the beginning in the beginning he points to the creator the word who became flesh and dwelt among us and the whole thing about that is taking people from the beginning into the human condition to what God has done about it And that's where we need to be making sure that we are focusing our attention on. It It is God's word that sheds light upon scientific discovery by bringing us to the creator, the one who made all that stuff that we are discovering. I have mentioned before that uh, one of my favorite, in fact, my favorite book is is "Knowing God" by Jerry Packer. He says something in his chapter um, "God Incarnate" that um, really sticks with me, and uh, I wish to get into that if I can find it here in my notes. He says it is no wonder at the beginning of his chapter that thoughtful people find the gospel of Jesus Christ hard to believe. You have the atonement, for one thing, um, which is death on the cross for the sins of the world. That's hard to believe. You have a resurrection. Can someone really come back from the dead? You have the virgin birth, which is a biological impossibility. You have gospel miracles. You have a man who walks on water who feeds 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. You have the healings and, and so on. All these miracles um, that the, the Gospels tell us about. So it's no wonder that people find the Gospel of Jesus Christ hard to believe. It, here's what he goes on to say. The really staggering Christian claim out of all those things is that Jesus of Nazareth was God made man that the second person of the Godhead became the second man determining human destiny the second representative head of the race and that he took humanity without loss of deity once the incarnation is grasped as reality these other difficulties dissolve the incarnation is in itself an unfathomable mystery But it makes sense of everything else that the New Testament contains. You see, when we can accept that God became a man, if we can get to that that point, the rest of everything makes sense. Because if God is a man, all of those miraculous, impossible things become possible. In fact, they not only become possible, they become likely. It probably did happen like it has it told us, because he's God. And God does things way different than we do things. He has the power to do those things. And so, the uh, the fact that if we can accept that God became a man, then we can accept all of those miracles. And, and I see... A correlation here with accepting the idea of, of the Genesis account being literally true. Accepting the literal um, interpretation there. Because God has the power to do that. And if we can see, see God um, as being an all powerful and very active God, very personally involved then it makes sense and it fits that the account that's given to us in Genesis is true, that it is literally true. So what is more mind-boggling? God taking the form of a man in order to rescue us or that God made the whole thing in six days? If you think about it, I think it's a bigger stretch of the mind that God would become one of us. That's, that's mind-blowing. Yet we tend to accept it so easily as Christians, um, and we celebrate it every year. We don't celebrate the beginning of the world. We celebrate the more significant thing, which is God's intervening into the affairs of mankind and rescuing Mankind, making a plan of rescue. If God would go to this extent of such a personal rescue, why would he not also tell us plainly how this all began? All right, let's close in prayer. You, O God, are the creator of all things. And it's before you that we live that we move, that we have our being. It's before you, Father, that our lives are open to and that you see us, you know us, and you have been personal to us. And Father, it is you that called us out of darkness into light to give us understanding. You're very generous to us and And so in gratitude, we come before you thanking you for your word, for its trustworthiness, and for what it tells us. And thank you for not leaving us alone to just wander around to try to figure it out for ourselves or leaving us alone to face the consequences of who we are. But God, you have rescued us. And as we celebrate this even more later today and in, in our, our worship, may our hearts be filled with the goodness of your grace and be filled even with a longing for more and more of you. Thank you for, for all that you mean to us. Amen.